Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of Reconciling Grace. This is Pete Vecchi, and I'm glad to be with you today. Joining me in the studio today are Vicki Cundiff and Mick Wells. And we're going to return to something that we haven't done for a while. We've done a few segments on this particular topic before. And I guess the best way to um, title this topic would be just saying Christian sayings. And what we're doing is we're exploring sayings that we might see somewhere. It might be uh, on a bumper sticker of a car. It might be on Facebook in a meme or something like that. It might be on a t-shirt. And, and one of the things that I was thinking, Vicki, the uh, most recent episode that we recorded had to do with um, a, a saying that you saw on a t-shirt that talked about saying, born again, I didn't get it right the first time. And you said you got that title because you saw that t-shirt, something like that. Wasn't that right? And so... What we are doing today is just kind of looking at different sayings that are out there. We haven't made these sayings up. These are things that have been seen or read um, somewhere, and we're just going to discuss them. We're not going to say that we necessarily endorse them or don't endorse them. We want to talk about, well, what does this mean? Is there really um, some really great theology with this, or is this something that might uh, really need to be thought about before we start uh, sharing this with other people. So let's just get right into it. The first one I want to look at today is this. God loves us the way we are, but too much to leave us that way. Well, I was immediately uh, drawn to a memory when we had our uh, gospel band, Wells of Salvation gospel band, going around giving concerts at the midpoint in the concert, I just ask people as kind of a break, stand up, turn to the person next to you, and repeat after me. God loves you, and they'd say, God loves you. And then I'd say, too much. And they'd kind of laugh and say, too much. And then I'd say, to leave you the way you are. And so that was kind of a lighthearted moment. It went away. But I think there's a lot of of truth in that. Um, doctrinally, God doesn't give up on us, as far as I can tell. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, the Bible tells us. And so, <clears throat> and he says, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. In other words, if you come to him, he's not going to turn you away. I guess the only issue I have on this is uh, the possible implication that God is going to force us. I think our free will is is honored by God. Uh, God's not going to grab me around the throat and force me to be anything or make any kind of confession. So he loves me too much. He, he, he loves me the way I am, but too much to leave me that way meaning he doesn't give up on me, mm -hmm. and he wants me to come to him. Those were my initial thoughts. Sure. And I, I like it because God loves us the way we are. There are so many people that think that God could never love them. 
because of the things that they have done in their life. And maybe not just the things that they have done, but the low self-esteem because of maybe the way they were treated by other people. And uh, they just don't believe that that God or anyone could love them. But it's just not true, Mm -hmm. you know, that... God loves us so much that He sent His Son to die for us. You know that's how mm-hmm. much He loves us. So I think that the first part of it that I'm going to focus on here right now is God loves us the way we are is a very good reality for us. It doesn't mean that you know before we come to Christ, you know, as sinners, that we need to be saved and and then God starts working on us to change us. It just means that you've never gone too too far that God doesn't love you. He loves you for you. When he says he loves you the way you are, he loves you for who you are. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. He's not looking for merit on our part or any works that we compile. Um, I was thinking if I spent all day mud wrestling and I was a mess and then somebody told me, hey, you got to go on stage and address this audience, I'd say, wait a minute, i got to clean up my act. But God doesn't require that before coming to Him. We come to Him the way we are, and He cleanses us. That's so important. And I know that uh, there have been people who I have encountered in my life, and I, I still remember the first time, at least to the best of my knowledge, it was the first time after I had given my entire life to the Lord, I was with a Christian um, traveling ministry team, and we were somewhere out west. I don't remember if we were in Wyoming or, or someplace, but it was in the mountain areas where people used to mine for silver or gold or whatever, and we were visiting this old prospecting town. It was a tourist place was what it was. And um, this older gentleman, I don't know, he may have been the age I am now, I don't know, but we were all in our uh, late teens to early 20s. So, you know, we were we were just like kind of full of ourselves, I guess, because, you know, we were Christians and we knew exactly what we had to do and what we had to say. And I don't remember how the conversation got started, but he was kind of asking, well, what are you all doing out here? And we mentioned that we were in this Christian singing group. And he said something that, that still sticks with me. He says, well, I'm not good enough to go to church. Mm-hmm. And looking back on it, I wish I had been more mature in my faith to be able to know how to answer that uh, because I would have had to say, well, none of us is, you know? That's what mm-hmm. I really wanted to say. But if you're like me, you, you can rehearse a conversation that you should have had over and over in your mind well after the time yeah. has passed. Um, to this day, you know, I have still remembered that, that I prayed for him a long time after that, wishing that I would have known what to say. But the point is, you don't have to be good enough. Nobody is good enough, but God loves you just as you are, and he loves us too much to leave us that way. And I didn't want to uh, go away from this one without <clears throat> giving at least one scripture reference. Um, this is in Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 18, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version of the Bible. Peter says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, okay, that could just be, that's the end of, the almost the end of the letter he just wrote. But when you look at this particular letter that he was just writing, 
These are probably the very last words that he ever wrote. He had probably been following Jesus for decades and uh, was probably either just about to be arrested or maybe had been arrested. And probably this is the time that he was going to not come out of that arrest with his life. Um, So here he was late in his life, and he is still encouraging people to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He knows them. They came to Jesus as they were, but he still wanted them to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And I know in speaking personally and looking at this, I'm sure glad he loved me so much that he didn't leave me the way I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I got saved, I had no idea the transformation that needed to take, to take place in my life. You know, I, I grew up and, you know, morally I was this good person, you know, and everything. Uh, but you may not have done a lot of really bad things, but you still have been in rebellion against God. And so, you know, over the 30 plus years that I've been a Christian, I can just see so many things that God has done to try to mold me into his image. And I'm just appreciative of that. He does love us too much to leave us the way we are. But just to insert that, just to go along with what you said in the scripture, we are supposed to grow in grace. We're not supposed to just, the starting point is to get saved, but we are supposed to be maturing to become more like Jesus Christ. And that's a never ending process. (laughs) We're still experiencing that. I would say then that just judging on the comments here, um, I don't think any of us really has a problem with that particular saying, do we? No. No. Well, let's move on to another one. Um, this is another saying. It says, I do my best, God does the rest. Well, that's a nice little rhyme, isn't it? And uh, what what does that mean? Does that have any meaning to either of you, Vicki or Mick? Well, I, I wrote a song called Do What You Can, and it's largely a paraphrase of that particular saying, um, now my best, doing my best, I do for Jesus and in his name, but uh, it's not to represent my own righteousness, which the Bible says is filthy rags. I, everything I do and everything God supplements what I do or works with what I do is uh, dedicated to him. But you know something, I w- went out on uh, the internet with that particular saying, and I found it was almost quoted verbatim by Dr. Ben Carson. And he had said, do your best and let God do the rest. Now, Ben Carson is a professing Christian. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was thinking too uh, of uh, a verse here I'd like to share on, on this particular theme. And it says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will, re- will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we do our best, I think the point here is to do it for God. And of course, he's all powerful and he knows the, uh, the nature of our heart and uh, he can bless it beyond whatever we have any power to uh to, to do in that regard. And that's true. And reality tells us that we can do our very best in a situation, whether it's circumstances with people or, or other things, but we can't control everything. Mm-hmm. And so when we can do our very best, but I like the phrase, let God do the rest, 
because he can do what we can't do that needs to take that thing a step further because it's it's important for us to realize as people that we can do our very best, but it still may not have a good outcome. But God can bring a good outcome from things, but we can't control everything is my point, but God can. Can I share with you too, and Pete, you've pointed out various times that uh, not all hymns have you know, acceptable doctrine. This one I like though, and it's a familiar hymn. I just like to read a couple of verses. Give of your best to the master. Give him first place in your heart. Give him first place in your service. Consecrate every part. Give unto you it will be given. God his beloved son gave, gratefully seeking to serve him. Give him the best that you have. And I thought that that kind of says it and dovetails with the Christian saying we're looking mm-hmm. at. Yes, I like everything that you all have said, and I agree with it. I just want to be careful when I use this particular phrase that we don't get the idea of the the Bible verse that is not, meaning that there is no Bible verse that says this. The Bible verse does not say anywhere, God helps those who help themselves. I want to make sure that we don't get the idea that first we have to do something and then God will help us. But I agree with everything that that you both said, that we are to give of our best to the Master. I love that hymn. I love the words of that hymn as well. And we are to um, do what we can. I like that. Didn't you wrote a song like that? Do what we can, as you said. And... um, We are to do what we can because God has given us these abilities. Well, we've run just a touch past where we should be taking a break for our sponsor, so I think we're going to do that right now and return in just a few moments with Reconciling Grace. We're back with Reconciling Grace, talking about Christian sayings, things that we might see on t-shirts or on memes or on bumper stickers or other places. We've just talked about two of them, and we're going to get another one here. How about this one? The Bible is rated E for everyone. I know that I've seen a commercial sometimes not talking about the Bible, but uh, maybe about a game or something about um, a TV show or just maybe even a product that that somebody is trying to advertise saying, this is rated E for everyone. Um, The Bible is rated E for everyone. What do you think about that? I think clearly the message of the Bible is for everyone. I think uh, the... uh, Encouragement to read and study the Bible doesn't come with any exceptions. I think we might have to be a little careful about certain parts of it, how uh, children uh, read it or or exposed to it, try to guide them and help them understand it. Uh, Even on the Internet, there's a a, a site that talks about are there parts of the Bible that are uh, inappropriate for children and uh, I guess that's a question under itself, but I, it is certainly for everyone, except we might have to be a little judicious in what we expose the children to and, and help them understand what's being said. Mm-hmm. 
one of the things like I, I I looked at a couple of scripture passages that might fit into those, and I I'm even having difficulty wondering if I ought to read that part of the scripture over the waves right now, or maybe just. Uh, kind of describe it a little bit without reading every word of it, talking about, for instance, in 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 10, where um, there was a violent act committed against somebody, and it talks about how um, what the result was, how it looked afterwards. It would not be pretty, let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you read a lot about things, for instance, in... Um, First, excuse me, Second Samuel chapter sixteen, verses twenty-one and twenty-two, where it talks a lot about the uh, sexual immorality that was practiced just matter-of-factly um, amongst some of the Old Testament leaders. It was a different culture back then. Um, I don't know that. It's wrong to read it. I mean, it's part of the Bible. It's in it's in the Bible. It's God's word. But um, at the same time, what do you think about things such as children's Bibles, which just kind of gloss over this kind of stuff or, or omit it? I mean, we're not supposed to leave things out of the Bible. What do you think? Well, I think it's the right thing to do because until they get to the age where they can understand some of that stuff, then I think that that is good. Um, I think of one of my grandchildren, and um, he would come and stay with me a couple times a week and then go to school, and we would have a time of before bed where we read the Bible together. And so, you know, in one particular year, you know, we, we wasn't going over some of the stuff that we would go into as we're reading a particular book, but it came to the time where he could hear this particular thing, because I want to tell you something— They're hearing it out in the world, Mm -hmm. and they're seeing it out in the world. And so I think that we have to be sensitive, like you were referencing earlier, Mick, just um, sensitive to what someone can understand at the time. But I don't think it's wrong for these things to be in the Bible or to not read them because these are realities of life. You see the danger of sin. You see how bad sin is, but you see the remedy uh, for sin and or the consequences also not just the dangers of sin, but the consequences of it if you do this and then what could happen. So uh, I know when I read some of the things where David's children and some King David and some of the things that happened in there, and you see the results of what can happen in people's lives and, and how they live. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's reality, you know, but there's the Bible is full of hope. So it is for everyone. We see salvation in it. But, but I do think that we need to be sensitive with children in answer to your question until we get to that sense of the, with the Spirit that we know that now they're at an age where they can understand this because they're hearing this stuff themselves. I, I think there's an added dimension just based upon the society and the times that we live in. And believe it or not, there are on, on places, social media, let me just say it that way, will ban quotes from the Bible because some of them are considering the words of Christ just read out of the Bible to be, quote, hate speech. And I think we have to sensitize children that these are the words (laughs) from the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We're not to consider Jesus' words hate speech. So the world might be telling them, The Bible's inappropriate. Certain things that Jesus said 
are hateful, we need to sensitize them that that's, our, that's the source of our salvation. It's mm -hmm. in the Bible. It's for everyone. We shouldn't um, disregard that just because it's politically incorrect uh, to read and stand for what Jesus stood for. Right. And I don't necessarily have a problem with the children's Bibles. At the same time, I'm not going to hide a Bible. You know, if a child who's eight years old, 10 years old wants to read the Bible, let that person do it. That's fine with me. You know, I think we really need to rely on the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can speak to all of us. And I believe that if somebody is wanting to read the Bible and they're old enough to be able to read and they can look at these words, um, a lot of this stuff they may not even understand, but if they want to read the regular Bible, I am not opposed to it. I just know that sometimes there are going to be some things that are going to be difficult for them to understand or for them to um, fully appreciate, Mick, as you talked about, maybe even in the culture. I think that sometimes people in the Bible culture saw a lot more things than what people do today. For instance, I've seen movies depicting um, Roman times where children would be walking along the road right after the Romans had crucified a whole bunch of people, and these children are walking along seeing all these people hanging on crosses, which must, would, must have been traumatizing, which was part of the idea of crucifixion, of course, but you wouldn't see that today. Mm -hmm. so. But that just reminds me of something when you said about children reading the Bible. And so uh, my children were five and eight years old when I gave my heart to Christ. And it wasn't long God was showing me that I needed to teach my children about Jesus. And uh, we had a Bible story book. And so we, we, it had questions at the end of every, every story. So we went through the Old and the New Testament. Then we went through it again the second time. And so they were still pretty young when the Lord said, it's time to read straight out of the Bible now. And so that is what we did. Um, and so it was very beneficial to them in understanding that and trying to read that as well. So I just think that there's, there's a time when they can understand that better. Mm -hmm. And I think that, too, one of the things that so often happens is that we as adults we try to decide what is the best time for that to happen, and we want a universal answer for every child in the world or something like that. It's not going to happen. Some are going to develop more quickly. Some are going to be more spiritually sensitive. Um, Vicki, what you said, I think, was, was perfect because you felt led by the Holy Spirit to say, okay, these children are ready now. And I know that uh, there are some children who would be, some who wouldn't be. So I can't just say, okay, the age is 10 years, or the age is 12 years, or the age is 6 years. Everybody's going to be a little bit different. And one of the things that I do want to point out, too, about some of the children's Bibles and children's stories is sometimes they don't always get all of the facts quite accurate, or they don't always get it all exactly right. I still remember reading children's stories um, or children's Bible stories to my children when they were little, and when I would compare it sometimes to what uh, actually happened in the Bible, I'm not saying that the the children's stories were wrong, but they didn't give a complete understanding of what was going on. So um, you, you need to be careful about those things, but we do want them to know about Jesus, and that's the most important thing. 
We have one more that I think we're going to be able to squeeze in here today before our time runs out. This is the saying. It says, Jesus is God's selfie. Now, I tell you what, if I would have heard that when I was uh, a kid, I would have said, what is a selfie? selfie? Exactly. But a selfie, of course, just in case somebody doesn't know, we're talking about what you do with cell phones now. You kind of hold it up in the air and you take a picture of yourself, oftentimes with other people or with uh, certain things in the background. But the idea that Jesus is God's selfie, what does that mean to you? Please, the personification that we humans can relate to. Um, I was thinking of uh, this verse in John 14, chapter chapter 14, verse 9, says, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus made it very clear to Philip, at least, in in this verse, that he's a perfect reflection of the Father. You see, Jesus, I I believe God sent Jesus here for our salvation, of course, but to give us something to relate to so that God's not just a remote, distant concept only. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. What did Jesus look like? Well, you know, he walked among people, he ministered to them, and the Bible also tells us that we're made in the image of God. And so Jesus gives us something to, for humans to relate to God in a very personal way. And I'm not sure any other uh, faith on earth does that, mm-hmm. but clearly if we've seen him, We have seen the Father, and I think he gives us a little insight as to why. Sure, and I've asked Vicki if she would read a scripture passage here from Colossians 1.15, talking about Jesus. What does it say? The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God, and I like that word invisible because... um, No one has seen God, at least not God the Father, physically, except maybe his backside. Moses saw his backside as as God passed by when Moses was hidden in the cleft in the rock in the Old Testament. But no one has seen God face to face, except Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is the image of what does that word image mean? Does anybody have anybody really looked at that and say what does that word image mean in the in the um, New Testament Greek? If you haven't, let me tell you. It kind of is almost like a photocopy, if you want to call it that. And I mean, they wouldn't have used the word photocopy, but something where it's an exact replica. Now, what I think is really difficult here is to say, okay, does that mean that God looks exactly like Jesus looked as a physical man? I'm not talking about that. I don't think that's what the Bible is talking about, but it's talking about, Mick, kind of like you alluded to, the things that Jesus did, the love that Jesus had for people, um, the way he treated people. If you see Jesus, you have seen the Father. Right. And then... And us being made in the image of God, and when we come to know Christ as our Savior, then we are being molded to be like God and and reflect Him to the rest of the world as well. Mm -hmm. 
It's interesting reading in Revelation the physical descriptions of God, and you just wouldn't picture another human being like that. So I think we're, we, by image we are talking about we're seeing the character of God and his uh, qualities because there is another scripture that says no one can see God in his, like his full revelation and live. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, I hear the music starting in the background. It means that we are just about out of time. So I hope you've enjoyed this time of hearing about Christian sayings. So for Mick Wells and Vicki Cundiff, this is Pete Vecchi thanking you for joining us for another episode of Reconciling Grace. Remember that we have that name, Reconciling Grace, because Jesus Christ reconciles us to God the Father. I hope that you know him as your Lord and Savior. God bless. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace. Reconciling Grace.